Welcome, everybody. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. I watched four movies. <laughs> Here we are. We finally made it. I know you guys have been waiting. Audience choice. We are delving into the wizarding world of Harry Potter, ladies and gentlemen. I've never seen any of these movies until now. I certainly feel like I missed out on something my yeah. whole my whole childhood now. I wish I had done it. I was I was a bit mm, not for me, you know? Yeah. Let me run you through some of the stats here, not to make you feel bad about what you missed. But <laughs> what just, did I miss out on? What did I turn my well, back so, on? <laughs> here's the deal. As far as the books, more than 500 million copies worldwide for this series, oh. which if that doesn't make any sense, it is the best-selling book series in history. <laughs> You know, no big deal. Uh, Goosebumps is number two. Wow. Around 400 million, but that has over 62 books. Yeah. This one is seven. Yeah, seven. So. <laughs> yeah, so you got to so you know, hmm, hmm, I wonder, hmm. <laughs> And then in terms of film, it is the third highest grossing film series of all time, oh, beat only by Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And again, Marvel now has 23 films and Star Wars has 12. Yeah. So- some other massive situations that this created. Translations. This is also in over 80 languages. Oh, my God. One of the most recent ones that it was translated to is Ancient Greek, really? which you'd have to be an ancient Greek scholar to read. Now, also, it is the longest published work in Ancient Greek since the third century. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it just claims everything. <laughs> and there she is, old JK, putting that star on her board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So for this episode, we're not going to go book by book. We got more episodes on Harry Potter coming. We're uh, slowing it down here. This episode specifically will just be focusing on J.K. Rowling's life. And Evan and I thought that it is something that most people probably don't know about. You, you People debate and talk about the books. So and the somebody and like me, never read any of these books, never watched any of these movies. I heard... Oh, J.K. J.K. Rowling. She like was totally broke, poor. You know, raising her, <laughs> Rags her child. To on, yeah, yeah, raising her child on on you know cents and dollars <laughs> and writing in coffee shops. And she just signed one deal, and magically her whole life changed. It's like she is Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's it's kind of the like run-on sentence back story that I, I think anybody who is has heard of this for more than 10 seconds got. Yeah. So I thought this was a great opportunity to really tell the story, really yeah. tell the story of where this comes from. Yeah. There is a type of book, which would be the British boarding school book, a coming of age story, British kids at boarding school, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. bullying, sports, adolescence. That was a type of book that this basically emulates. Of course, it expands okay. and extrapolates from there. But that's initially what people assumed this was and what she's going off of. This was not very big after World War II because mm. schools became more co-ed, and at least in England, the boarding school kind of idea was a bit antiquated uh -huh, as we think of it now. But in the time when it was big was the 1850s and thereabouts. So Jane Eyre, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, even something that we covered before, Louisa May Alcott, if you remember Little oh, Women, yeah. the third book was Little Men, and it's about her running the boys' boarding school. Right, yeah. So that was part of this type of thing. But then it faded gotcha. away, like I said, gotcha. after World War II. Stephen King, one of the things that she also takes is mystery stories. 
And so he calls them shrewd mystery tales because they really do follow a good pattern of a mystery story. Yes. I, I was talking to, to Emily while we were watching them and, and just going like, man, I had no idea that Harry Potter was a detective. <laughs> like, seriously, that's what the, for the, at least the first four, the, it's getting to the bottom of this mystery. Who's setting Harry Potter up? What new game is he going to have to perform for the first time without having seen it? And who's going to have an attempt on his life? Yeah. <laughs> and what clues should I have paid attention <laughs> yeah. to? Yeah, very much that's also what she's drawing from. But the biggest person yeah, the biggest person and influence that you need to know about that she was immediately compared to is Rule Dahl, who is also a mm. British author. Shortly after the launch of the Philosopher's Stone, which is what it's called in England and the rest of the world. Yeah, I um, didn't realize that either until yeah. I started looking. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after it came out, seven of the ten most popular children's books were by Rule Dahl. Really? So, yeah, he's responsible for James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, the Witches, the BFG. Oh, man. Fantastic Mr. Fox, like all oh, of these classic man. kids stories, even a little bit with that dark sensibility that she carries on later, uh -huh. where yeah. she's not shying away from evil or... No, I saw, I saw it starting to get dark. By, <laughs> yeah. By the, by the time I end up in that graveyard in part four, it's starting to get dark. Yeah. So he is, Roald Dahl is the leader in children's writing post-World War II, especially in Britain. Mm. That's what people knew as far as children's works at this time. Right. And you can imagine the smaller books, the simpler setting, more... Yes, yes, fairy tale esque. Yes, that people him. are people are on seven of the top ten children's books are his. God. So now we come to J.K. Who is she? What is her life? How did this become a thing? Yeah, I she because my angle. I'm looking at the the film stuff, and I'm she was so involved uh, mm -hmm. from the outset for the at least the, for very much though so those first the ones I watched the first four. I was going like, wait, she'd never written anything else, and like <laughs> this came out really quickly after the first book had been yeah. like so how did she how did she become jk Rowling? you know yeah. like she because she's walking around like george lucas yeah uh basically this by the icon. time yeah 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 uh so uh, it's it's that's a particular ascension that i think again is, is just kind of glazed over yeah. in in you know a run-on sentence yeah so here's the ascension keep this in mind throughout this tale she is one of only five self-made female billionaires. Wow. She is also the first billion-dollar author, wow. somebody who wrote and made a billion dollars. Wow. Recently, Forbes reported that she lost her billionaire status, and that's only because she's given away so uh -huh. much of her earnings to charity. But still, she remains one of the wealthiest people in the entire world, which is insane. That is staggering. <laughs> Yeah, I lost my billionaire status because I gave away hundreds too of much millions money. of dollars <laughs> yeah. to charity. Um, so that's that's where she is now. Yeah, here's how she got there. She was born in Yate, which is a population of around twenty one thousand on the west side of England. Mm. She moved a few times in her life in that area, but still similarly small towns. Mm -hmm. Her mom was a science technician. Her father was an engineer at Rolls Royce, working class. Mm middle income family. She has an older sister named Diane, who will factor in later, okay. a little bit more than a year older than her. Growing up was rough just because I was watching an interview. They're saying for these towns, this time and place, everybody's got the same wallpaper because there's only a one wallpaper manufacturer. One, you know, Your mother has a dress uh, and yeah. three other women yeah. in the town have a dress. It's just like everybody's trying to make it work. Yeah, and there's not insular, much it's small, yeah. coming into this town. So she said that 
if you had to pick something, because people always ask, who are you? Yeah. You know, Hermione is probably most likely her based on her upbringing and how she felt mm-hmm. as that bookish kid. She's like, I'm not nearly as smart or like presumptuous as Hermione is uh-huh. in the stories. But uh, around this time, so she's in secondary school, age 11. She meets this guy from one of her moves, Sean Harris, who, if you look in the book, Chamber of Secrets, that book is dedicated to him. And he oh. owned the uh, blue flying car, which then the Weasleys have, and like that he had that car that she then puts into okay. the story. And so this is a quote from her: "He was the first person with whom I really discussed my serious ambition to be a writer, and he was also the only person who thought I was bound to be a success at it, which meant much more than I ever told him at the time. Because even as a kid at age six, she wrote a book and gave it to her mom, and was like, "Well, how does this get published? I wrote a book." Yeah. What what do you do with this? Yeah. But this guy Sean, when she was around eleven, was was really the only person who she could confide in. Like, hey, I want to do this. Aww. What's this about? That um, I mean, you never know. I mean, you. I, it's something I talk a lot about on the show is your impact on people, and 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 you just never know how small some things are and what it means to people. Yeah. Her favorite author at the time and forever in an interview I saw is uh, Jane Austen. Her favorite book from Jane Austen, Emma, ah, <laughs> which we covered. Go um, check it out. Yeah. Her name also is Joanne, okay. and she goes by Joe. What's the K stand for? The K we'll get to in uh, <laughs> when she starts writing. Yeah. So her name is Joanne Rowling, or Joe is what her friends call her. Mm-hmm. Um, but her mom is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Her father is really tough at this point. There's some complicated. She's pretty coy about her childhood and her life, but obviously things were not going well. Even after when she becomes successful, her and her father are not on speaking terms. And uh-huh. in an interview, she's like, "I won't make amends." Like there, there are things, and she obviously interviewers smartly don't press her, and she doesn't go into it. But it's like that door has closed. Yeah. So even here, there's complications Gosh. there. She goes to college. Now we're entering her twenties. In 1983, she went to Exeter. Not accepted to Oxford, which she said, I would have drowned. Like, it's almost Uh good that I went to this smaller, less, you know, prestigious institution. So there she studies French and the classics, not specifically writing in any capacity. She lived in Paris for a year during this time. Uh, Ah, yeah. To live in Paris for a summer. (laughs) And study French. Mm. (laughs) Beautiful. She had odd jobs here after in her 20s. One of them was a researcher and bilingual secretary in London for Amnesty International. Hmm. So now it's 1990. We get to the start of where Harry Potter fits in with all of this. Okay. She yeah, tw- see, I was yeah. confused. But just, just, I thought the books were later in the 90s, but then mm-hmm. I saw some things to, talking about earlier. So <laughs> this is an area that I that I was definitely unclear about. It's like, wait, what happened in 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts in 1990. She's 25 years old. Um, she's moving with her boyfriend at the time to Manchester, but she still has this job in London. So she's taking these long four-hour train rides oh, gosh, back yeah. and forth. This is where the apocryphal story is that she got the idea for Harry Potter on the train because there was a delay and she had to wait as well. A lot of trains. (laughs) And she has been writing and she had an idea for a novel. And then she just said this idea, which seems sort of strange, but how can you, you know, judge somebody for the truth that they're living? She's like, it just came fully formed. I could see this skinny little boy with black hair, a weird scar on his forehead. And I knew instantly that he was a wizard, but he didn't know that yet. Just the character and the idea, and then he has to go to school. So then she said she just basically worked backwards. So he's like, he's a boy who's magic, but he doesn't know how can he not know. 
oh, it's because yeah, his yeah, parents, yeah. you know, didn't tell him or it, then and she's just there, no pen, no paper on the train ride being like, I have all these ideas and I, there's these four houses and here's the thing and Quidditch and all this other stuff. Well, right off the bat, there's something about this that transcends into the into the films about logic, being able to see the logic through the writing. It, mm-hmm. it, you can track it. Um, and not not all writing is like that. Not all series like that are com- comparable to, to this are, are like that. And I think that's really engaging for an audience is to be able to look at an item and understand some sort of implied trajectory. There's something there that actually there's there's a logic to it. There's mm-hmm. a real reason why it's not just there to be just to be there. So yeah. that's something I, I was I was picking up immediately. And when you're building a world, when you're t- talking about, OK, well, what if you went to school to be a witch? You know, okay, well, then it would be like this because of X, Y, and Z. I heard her speak very uh, quickly just about uh, the why it's a boarding school. It's like, (laughs) well, not because she, you know, went to boarding school, likes boarding school, pro boarding school. No, it's because, well, if you're teaching children dangerous things (laughs) that that the world really shouldn't and can't know about, you probably need to do it in a place that's really far away, Mm -hmm. that's really secluded. It's like stuff like that. And you just build one piece on on another piece on another piece. That starts to make it really real for your audience when they can track it with you. And a lot of people are dubious. There's even conspiracy theories, which are insane about how this is, she's the figurehead and it was some writer's room that cobbled this together and how it all came to be this massive, whatever. And it's like, this is a long process. Remember, no, she started this. I, in- I, I remember being in fourth grade and making my own city plans with the entire <laughs> class. Like you, yeah. you, be, don't, you, people can do a lot. Yeah. She, she could, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, insane, but it's also phenomenal. And there's only one person who can be the top and she's at the top. She has the highest grossing movies and books. She figured it out. You think if there were 10 other people in that room with her, you know, (laughs) that they would just let her be the one person that gets to dictate and be the spout for all knowledge and truth about this subject? No, you would have leaks. that that No, that's absurd. And in a way, and hopefully when we get to this in other episodes, we'll see that like, all this stuff she's piecing together from everywhere else in her own life. Yeah. And like, yeah. it has to come from one person. And you could even argue that she had been writing this book sh- since she was six years old. Right. When right. she didn't know that she even had a chance. So now here she is, 1990, on this train ride being like, this is it. I've wanted to be a writer. This is the thing. I'm going to put down all this other crap I've been working on and just go for this. Yeah. Unfortunately, December of 1990, after 10 years with multiple sclerosis, her mom dies. Uh. She's only 45 years old. Joe is 25 years old. She doesn't even get to tell her mom that she's been working on this. She doesn't, her mom doesn't know that this is something that she's been interested in. This idea of Harry Potter, the boy who lived. So obviously her mother's death in 1990 is the biggest piece of this puzzle. And it inspired her to write Harry now as a boy longing for his dead parents. Mm. The anguish becoming much deeper, much more heartfelt. You ask her, what's the theme of this? She always says death. It's always about death and life and parents. And and it be- became real to her in that character, uh, more so than the earlier drafts mm. before that situation happened. See. So now, nine months after this, she saw an advertisement where she could go teach English as a foreign language in Portugal. So she moves there. She still is working on these chapters, having this story in play. In Portugal, while she has this job, she meets this guy, Jorge. They marry in 1992, and they have a child, Jessica, Hmm. in 1993. Again, she doesn't like to talk about this as well as the parts about her childhood. We can assume that he was abusive. There were issues. It was a bad situation. They're separated four months later 
and she moves God. back immediately to Scotland to be with her sister, Diane. She has three chapters of Harry Potter in her suitcase. She has nothing. This is what would be the pit of despair. This is the end of 93. Now it's seven years after she's graduated, and she thinks she's a failure. She has no marriage. She's jobless. She has a kid who is a infant. Mm-hmm. And she said at this point she even considered suicide, depression, all yeah. of that stuff is weighing on her. That's what she said inspired the Dementors was this particular time in her life uh, yeah. where everything is crashing down. Okay. All she has is this idea for a book. She said, quote, her economic status was being as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. Yeah. That that level of, of you know just that quality of life. It's more people than you would think. You know yeah. these people almost like live an invisible life because they don't they don't look overtly homeless or in need, but they but they are desperately in need. Yeah, yeah. Um, she decides, okay, well, I have to do something. I'll get my teaching degree, but that means she has to go back to school to get her certification and degree yeah. and whatnot. While she's now applied for welfare, she realizes, and this is where people sort of get her story a bit confused in okay. terms of, okay, well, she was writing to make money, or she knew this was going to be a big break, or she was being selfish by sacrificing, you know, why didn't she just get a job kind of thing? She's got a kid, right. all of that. She realized, okay, if I'm going to get this job, I'm going to become a full-time teacher. I'll have to grade. I have my kid. I'm still struggling with money. I will never finish this thing. Right. So her impetus was, I'm going to do this as much as I can and get it done because I know once all these other responsibilities come into play, my life will be over with this and that dream will be lost. So it was extremely difficult, but that was her mentality more so than oh, this is going to make me rich or I'm neglecting right, my child. Right. It's like, if I don't do this now, I don't I'll have a never, yeah, this I'll never get to. Being real with yourself, not, yeah. do, not, not allowing yourself to like walk down the line anymore, any further, <laughs> convince yourself, oh, I'll get around to it. It's, it's, so many people don't have the wherewithal to actually be honest with themselves and, and lay bare that they have been disillusioning themselves yeah they have been telling themselves well they'll get to it meanwhile they know well they're, they're gonna go to their job and they've got these responsibilities <laughs> yeah. and it's like at what point do you have the sobering moment that goes no okay this is how it works this is how i am what are, if if this is happening now do i have an opportunity is this the only time this opportunity is going to come mm-hmm. being able to identify those moments being able being sober and real enough with yourself to to know when yeah. you've kind of been selling yourself down the road a little a little short uh, that's that's make or break in this story what yeah. i'm seeing is being able to understand well i have a window of time and this yeah. might be the only time mm-hmm. most people wouldn't even give themselves the time of day to think about that to really <laughs> they would just disillusion themselves into going well, well i'll get to it as soon as i can breathe you know yeah. like yeah she's like i'm already underwater right here we go so she is no longer living with her sister or you know helping with her feet off the ground this guy sean her friend from 11 years old comes back into the picture mm. and gives her deposit money so that she can have a flat oh. which is not a great flat but she has it's it. something yeah yeah so now she's here with and this is where the story comes of her writing in cafes and it's not you know the, the apocryphal stories is oh that her apartment had no heating and she was just trying to survive it's okay, like yeah, she yeah. doesn't want to glamorize this moment in her life but she was like no i was just my baby would fall asleep if we walked for a while and it was a quiet place where i could sit and write and work mm-hmm. um so that is what's going on up until 1995 where she finishes the manuscript for the first harry potter book okay 
uh, I'm going to post a link to a video because what also gets lost in this story, along with the rags to riches, this was her troubled life, is there's a video of her explaining her writing this. And maybe people don't realize she was putting it all together. Yeah. She was. She had written the seven books, essentially. Yeah. She had done everything. So it's she has boxes and papers of writings and yeah. drawings and charts of every person and their family lineages. Like, she had done it all. Mm-hmm. And that was what, I mean, she's a really good artist, too, <laughs> like sketching out all the characters. Really? It's just, it's crazy to see how, like, people think, like, oh, it wasn't, it was between 1990 and when the first book was published, like, she continued to be working on this thing. Yeah. That was she's what she steeled out. herself towards, was the entire concept, everything from book one to book seven. She knew it all. Good Lord. Um, so now comes the publishing part. The the horrors are not over yet. This is also God. part of the story. Yeah, okay, she has the hear. material. Yeah, here's part two. Yeah, <laughs> the troubles of publishing. Yeah, she tries to get it published. She sends it to an agent. She said the first one sent it back so fast she thought it was like the same day <laughs> that she sent it. They were like, nope. The second not a- for us. Yeah, what? <laughs> she didn't even <laughs> just in the mailbox and write back out. Yeah, <laughs> not oh. for us. Oh. The second agent, Chris Little. She said it was the best letter she's ever received. Just mm. two sentences. Oh, she he want you know sent the first chapters. He wants to see the rest of the manuscript. Mm. So then now hits his job as her agent to get it to the publishers. Yeah, which is a year of him trying to get it to oh, these God. publishers. Twelve rejected it, and the reasons, like we said, it's too long. It doesn't fit in with the children's. Right. She didn't even realize or know that she was writing a children's story. It's a risque topic. Witches, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> per se. It was like, oh, am I gearing this? It doesn't feel like it's for nine to eleven year olds, but yeah. I guess that's what we have to sell it as. Again, boarding right. school stuff, not in fashion. How do you sell it? There's a whole someone's whole life is dedicated to how do we sell this thing? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the thirteenth publisher, Bloomsbury, Barry Cunningham, is the guy who accepted. I'll post a link uh, to a video where he talks about it. His eight year old daughter, Alice read the first chapter and she said she wanted to see more. And so that's why he was like, oh yeah, let's go for this. My kid. Like little women in this piece. Yeah. Again. It's so funny because you mentioned it earlier. I've, I feel the, the the connection here, but I mentioned it while we're watching the fourth movie and they start to kind of get there. There was more teen, like more sexualities coming yeah, yeah, into yeah. it a bit. And I'm sitting here going, man, I wish I could see little women, but with the Harry Potter character. <laughs> like I want little women, like the, the coupling up and drama, but just that Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And I just want a whole movie that's just that. Where all the all the magic and all the all the mystery is just like in the right. background. It's really about who's gonna be with who. <laughs> well, maybe there's certainly some fan fiction or something. Oh man, I bet into. there's boatloads. Don't go looking for it. <laughs> Don't go. So now this publisher has agreed to this madness. He haggles with this agent Chris for he says like ten minutes, mm. low sum, twenty five hundred pounds. God. Advance for the publication. She is ecstatic. This is insane. More money than she's ever had. <laughs> so she goes over to London to talk to this publisher about it. And she starts talking. She's like, what about sequels? And he's like, well, let's just talk about the first one. Mm-hmm. Get You know, usually children's books, especially with sequels, is just the same character is a different setting right, kind of right, thing. Now right. it's in space or now it's, you know. Right. Not, but then she goes into the whole idea of she's she already, already got knows. it. 
It's seven parts. At Here's that the point, thing. her job is just how do I get them enticed enough into what's going to happen yeah. that they want to do it. <laughs> These characters are changing. It goes from yeah. when for yeah. all the way through till they're 17 years old. It grows with the people. And she's not it's, making it up in the room. She's been spending the last five years figuring that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he says, let's just get the first book out. And also he says- Look, you're prob- like children's books do not make money, which she also knows. But he's like, you're probably going to have to get a day job as well. She's like, I know. Yeah. Like this is so. Even at this point, it's it's still up in the air. Yeah. She's just happy to have done it, gotten it done, gotten a publisher, gotten paid twenty five hundred pounds. It's real in some way. Look wow. At that. Yeah. I mean, that to somebody who had nothing, and somebody in her predicament, man, she did just win the lottery. I mean, for real, for real, yeah. for real. I mean, I get it. I mean, it's twenty five hundred pounds. That's twenty five hundred pounds for writing, baby. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So then immediately after that, she got a grant of 8,000 pounds from the Scottish Arts Council, wow, which she had applied yeah. to, which enabled her to then plan the sequels, and she doesn't have to get that teaching job just yes, yet. Yes, there you go. So that pushes her over to the, to the next part. Here comes the K in her name. Here we go. Before they're going to put the book in print, this publisher is like, we've got to have a gender neutral name. Boys, for whatever reason, are sexist and will not read a book by a woman. If it says Joanne Rowling, mm. they're not going to read it. Uh. So what are your initials? She said, well, I don't have a middle name. Huh? It's just, jo- she doesn't have a middle name. <laughs> they're like, well, you got to get a middle one. <laughs> you you got to get one, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so she uses Kathleen, which was her grandmother's name. Oh. So that's where the JK comes from. Oh, I like that. So then that becomes her nom de plume. It's sad that that's, but you, you're telling me the logic of it. I'm like, yeah, 100%. One, she's, yeah. Again, it's somebody's whole job to figure out how to sell this thing. And they're <laughs> thinking about, well, maybe boys don't want to read something by, you know, Joe, yeah, <laughs> you know, like Joe, you know, Joanne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you maybe, maybe if we can fly under the radar and they never know. Who's the wiser? <laughs> yeah. And she has, she regret, you know, people ask like, what would you have changed? What She said, if I, I mean, she had no skin it's in the game. changed now. No man. stakes there, but she would not have made that concession yeah. at that point. I think it's, I mean, the culture has just le- changed leaps and bounds in, in, in 25 years. Uh, yeah. That in the mid nineties. Oh yeah, baby. This is little yeah. fires everywhere <laughs> territory. Yeah. 100%. They're making that business decision. It's like, well, yeah, we, we, a woman we, writing. We, yeah, nah, we got to get okay. So Jake, get a middle name. Uh, JK <laughs> Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> make it up. Yeah, make it up. Uh, <laughs> so now published June 1997. Remember, done in '95. Gotcha. A year of trying to figure out how to get it out there. Gotcha. The initial print 500 in hardback, and then later in softback 500. 500. I wonder what that goes for now. One of those. Oh, like thirty thousand. Oh, I mean, crazy. Oh, man. Yeah, they got critical praise, but it was interesting because most of it was the children's awards by the children's choice. There were only a couple that were revered by the adult, you know, like best selection of whatever for mm-hmm, kids. Mm-hmm. But the kids loved it, and it was mostly word of mouth through kids That's and cool. libraries wanting it because kids were requesting That's it. Cool that this became popular. The Scholastic Book Fair, mm-hmm, exactly, spreading it like wildfire. So speaking of Scholastic, <laughs> that this <laughs> Here is we only go. yeah, this is only in England, mm. in the United Kingdom. So now it's going. There's this book symposium or whatever, and America wants the rights to it. So Scholastic bought it. She said this was the craziest phone call she's ever gotten. We got news for you. Scholastic wants to buy it for $105,000. I mean, her first one was $2,500. Yeah. <laughs> it also 
caused a buzz in the publishing just world. Just for the that's that's in rights. That's just just to have it published <laughs> in the United States. Yeah. Wow. And that's just the first one. Yeah. Yeah, so she's like, I mean, it created such a sensation too, because people are like, oh, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, why is it worth so much? Clearly, mm -hmm. they see the mm -hmm. writing on the wall. The buzz is building. The awards are piling up. I'm kind of interested in how this like, this this spread through kids. I mean, really mm -hmm. young kids uh, getting into this material and spreading it, being excited about it, and 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 that's that's just how it grew. I'm trying to think and trying to equate it to I don't you know, like. What? I don't know what books and people. I, That's I, why it was I, I such a sensation because yeah. nowadays it's like, oh, if your friend has Snapchat or TikTok or something, you're going to be on that. It's like right. how you know kids have right. some sort of type of shoe right. that they really want, and then all the kids have the same shoes or whatever is popular at the time. It's it's it was so bizarre to people though because it was a 500 page book, right? Man, and some parents still had a problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> so now. Part of this American thing. They changed it to the Sorcerer's Stone. Why? Philosopher's Stone is an actual artifact that is used to create alchemy. So it was known to the rest of the world. But the American publisher, Scholastic, they were like, Americans would not associate the word philosopher with magic. It has a different connotation. Yeah, I, I definitely go right into, you know, more school, <laughs> you know, right. more thought, and, you know. The, uh, yeah. And so that's why that choice was made. Again, she was like, I wouldn't have changed it, but Interesting. What what legs did I have to stand on when it came to this thing? They were pay you know, yeah. she didn't she didn't have it yet. It didn't sell it, they just bought the rights. Hey, at least that's all just dressing on the outside and it's not really anything about the story. So, you know. Right. Here yeah. you got it. So <laughs> here and there. I'm like, yeah, that would some of those concessions are stupid and we wouldn't do those anymore. But on some on some level, it's like, well, I wonder if you would be treated. I wonder what it would be like today unbeknownst to anybody the same type of material is like on somebody's desk yeah you know what how would that go now would it be more would they be more tearing it apart and trying to get them right. to change things about actually the material not just dressing on the outside are we going to print her full name you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> those types of things like it, yeah so part of this business deal america publishes it a year later 1998 and now she's outed as a woman the jig is up you know because it <laughs> no, sells like she's a woman. yeah like well that didn't last very long <laughs> <laughs> and obviously nobody cared because the books are great. Yeah. So that same year, 1998, she sells the rights to the film for the first four Harry Potter books wow. to Warner Brothers. Okay. For a reported one to two million pounds. And this is where some of the question of like, well, how does she have so much sway? I and it's because of the insanity of the fact that she already had it figured out. I That... Absolutely. I, I mean, there's there's nothing more than just somebody who's prepared. And when you think that somebody is just has this built up in their head when really they've been working on it for like 10 years in their room, like that's impressive. When you're when you're the, the pitch executive that's listening to this thing and you're being drawn in by something that you feel is not done yet. Really, it is kind of done, you know, like it yeah. is it exists. But it's her job to go into a room with somebody who's never heard of it before and make them think. I, it can be. It can't. We got. We it, it, just yeah. listen to me. We can do this. Yeah. Um, and but, the setups in in you know book one, they're gonna like. Right. She's got it all. Right. She's figured it all out. So I think that's where when they're like, okay, well, we just have it for the first four books. We know the first book is selling insane, breaking world records. The next ones are only gonna follow. And she's right. like, I've already got it. So you have to include her. 
Yeah, you have to I, include I was, her in the I was process. kind of baffled by how inclu- how how intrinsically inclu- included she was in these first few movies. But it, I mean, honestly, if I was the filmmaker stepping, if I'm Chris Columbus and I'm stepping into making that first movie, I I kind of I kind of want to be. I, please never leave my side, <laughs> right. Joe. Please tell me if what if I am if I am uh, getting hot here. Like, if, is well, they this also. Correct? I mean, if he does take creative liberties and change something. It can't be different from what's going to happen in book six, right? Because it hasn't come out yet. It's so. amazing to me, and, and, and I haven't finished the series, but it seems that they're not deviating wildly. No, uh, which is kind of impressive on its own right. It's mm-hmm. that, but I think this is all down to her really being heavily involved from the outset, yeah. getting their feet on the ground and establishing the world, and getting everybody on the same page. Then seeing that nobody was going to run away with it and change it, and then yeah. allowing herself to kind of step back towards the back, yeah. the back end of it. Like you um, said, she was assisting heavily in the writing process, ensuring the scripts didn't contradict the books for the future, mm-hmm. and making sure that the actors knew what they needed to know at certain points. She would, you know, there are certain characters that she would have to tell, which I won't spoil it for you, but she would have to tell right. them, hey, this is going to happen yeah. in three movies. So, I had heard that she, there were some that like didn't want to know that like she, <laughs> they, they like ran away from her. Am I going to die or not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but two of the big things that she had fought for that were important to her was that the cast was British Mm. or at least mostly British Scottish, you know, of Mm -hmm. that and that it was filmed in Britain. Yeah. And those were non-negotiable. Yeah. Because it doesn't get turned into some Hollywood nonsense. Right. That's, that's just opening the door to get shut out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's crazy to think about the film series is by the time the movie comes out, because remember the first one was published in Britain in 97, Mm -hmm. everyone had already read the book. Right. It's not like Lord of the Rings, which people had read, but the movies really catalyzed and, and, yeah. and created. This was hot, and then a movie came out while the iron was hot. <laughs> and a lot, of, and and it was best. It's like a lot of these things that we see now, that especially even ones that we're covering. It's like Ford versus Ferrari was a movie. Nobody knew it was a book, right? And right. even still, you wouldn't go back and read it. And the book was mildly or reasonably successful. It's right. not like every kid in two hundred countries is reading this. Yeah. Yeah. And now the movie is coming out. Yeah, this was this was a phenomena that somehow timing wise was able to get it all together and going and and have a movie adaptation, a massive, massive movie adaptation come out in the in the height of it. I mean, what how many books are out by the time the first movie actually does come out? So it was four books that had already come out. So, yeah, you're halfway into the biggest publication of all time, now the first movie is coming out. That timing, I mean, that, that seems like stars aligning, honestly, mm-hmm. to be able to get it done that quick. I mean, we're talking from 97, 98 to 2001. And by 2001, put on screen a world so big that it, it rivals Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And p- there was even questions of like, how are we going to do the Quidditch matches? Yeah. How are we going to do the it's generated just, effects? okay, we're going to make the movie. It's like, now these movies and the sequences and set pieces that are involved in them, these are uh, groundbreaking uh, sequences that <laughs> yeah. we're talking about. If you're really talking about bringing this to life the way you see it in your head, JK, yeah. uh, this is cutting edge state of the art stuff the needle will be pushed by mm. these movies that's what happened yeah the needle was pushed by these movies yeah. every and and i was seeing that and a series first- that's seven 
long that continues yeah. the story. Like, what else is like that? And then they add on top of it, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but they add on top of it an aging cast. A cast that's <laughs> already aging out of the ages they need them right now. we got to film these back to back to back, baby. I mean, it's staggering to think yeah. that they were able to get it going yeah. to get that machine up. Well, I'm sure running. we'll get into how all of the films I can't wait. That, another episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just uh, tying up this part where now her life is forever changed. Yeah. And she is, she described it. She's like a one woman beetle, like the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the exact same year the movie comes out, 2001, she remarries this guy, Neil Murray, who is a Scottish doctor, private ceremony. Mm. Don't know how they met, but they had two kids now and they're still married. So oh, just good. Okay. great that that she, I mean, yeah. she thought at this point, she's like, I'll just be, I won't marry again. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. who, how am I going to find somebody yeah. at yeah. this point? I'm glad that I'm glad that she did. I mean, I yeah. once that once your life changes like that, I mean, I can only imagine, but I if you're going through that alone, it must be hard to feel like you're actually finding a partner who sees you for who you are and not sees you for who Money. everybody else sees you to be, you know, <laughs> yeah. who everybody else thinks you are. So, that's amazing that she was able to trans, you know, she was able to actually traverse that. Yeah. Uh in the midst of this explo- this otherworldly explosion. I mean, this just does not happen down the street. You know, yeah. we're not just waiting on our clocks for this to happen to you or me. You know, like this this is a wild ride that yeah. only so many people on the face of the planet are pleasure are privileged enough to be able to go on. Yeah. My God. And in terms of writing this story, the last Harry Potter book came out in 2007. So from 1990 when she had the idea on the train mm-hmm. to 2007, 17 years. Yeah. She had been going through this. Working with the same characters. Yeah. It, that, that's yeah. that's a lot to feel like your whole life has changed because you have made this and but ultimately it is just you. And talking and, and her as a creator talking with them with these people as if they are real. Mhm. Because they are in some way. I mean, that's such a, it's a, this is, I mean, it's touching on uh, almost the, the cusp of real creation is yeah. like, is Harry Potter real? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, all those yeah. types of things, like for real. Yeah. Uh, be, if just putting yourself in her shoes, yeah, he must feel really real. Yeah. I want to post, there's a beautiful interview that she did with Oprah after all of this was over, all the madness of all of this. And uh, she didn't do a lot of interviews speaking as candidly as she did, but two of the real people that she said most influenced her, I've never heard of. Jessica Mitford, she Hmm. said, was a heroine of hers since she was 14 years old. Her great aunt was discussing her, how this lady had ran away at the age of 19 to fight in the Spanish Civil War, and then she was an investigative journalist, and that's why- A renegade. Yeah, that's why J.K. Rowling's daughter is named Jessica- Is because of this woman, and that's who inspired her as a woman. And then uh, she was saying that her biggest regret, another real person, was that her mom couldn't see it. Her mom has no idea that any of this ever happened came from it. But she said the the biggest irony is the books wouldn't be what they are if she hadn't died. Her death is on every other page, and what a what a what a crazy understanding and awareness that she has of like, this was sort of my mother's gift as well because she never saw it, but without her, I would never have understood any of this stuff. It wouldn't be what my life was made for in a way. Yeah, absolutely. If you've been following along with us um, as we've been looking at other art uh, authors and and the stories that they create, and I'm, I'm just consistently 
awe-inspired by these people who who traverse something, traverse some sort of hardship. I mean, all of them do. We all do, but are able to comport that into something into something beautiful. I mean, look what this gave her. I mean, this is beautiful, insane, otherworldly. I mean, it is alien-like what she just willed into existence because she, because of the death of her mother, because of missing somebody, because mm-hmm. of just the love you have for another human being and yeah. the absence you feel in the wake of their death. And kids had asked her, I'll post some links to some old interviews as well, where people didn't know what was going to happen. And kids would call in on radio shows and everything and be like, hey, is he going to get his parents back? And mm-hmm. she had to be like, no, because there's, you know, with magic and all this stuff, there's some things that just like, that's life. And that's what you, it's like, yeah. she's teaching things about good and evil and even life and death. All and- the, it's beautiful. Even with all this magic, you feel ultimately powerful. There's mm-hmm. no end to it. But that, there's these themes are sticking out at me, man, watching mm-hmm. these movies. And I, I really cannot wait to keep going because, <laughs> I mean, based on what, I'm, what I've heard here, I mean. What's also crazy, just to, to round out her life here and where she is now, she, like we said, 17 years from start to finish with this thing. Obviously, it carries on f- furthermore, and there are amusement parks that she's involved with creating. Like, she's never going to yeah, be yeah. done with this. But yeah. in the interview with Oprah, it was like, hey, do you feel like there's so much pressure to do anything more? What are you going to do now? And she was like, it was a spectacle. It was a phenomenon. But she had watched this documentary about Michael Jackson and Thriller and everybody doing the dance and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And like he was cursed with trying to replicate that or do it again. And she was like, I will never do anything. I I will never do it again. Yeah. I was... Immeasurably, that maybe you caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> and and the feeling. I mean, ultimately, going back to the mom stuff is you. You just can't. You just can't drudge that up again about somebody else and some other thing. She yeah. felt it about that. You can't just force the winds of your life to create something to write about. Mm-hmm. You know, to give you the inspiration. <laughs> you know, some you've got to find it with what you have. Yeah. One of, one of my uh, favorite, and that's what she yeah. had, you know. Yeah. That's what happened, and that was lightning in the bottle. I mean, so smart of her to know, like, well, I, I mean, I'm probably never going to write another worldwide phenomena <laughs> again. So that would be the insane for you to expect series, that of yeah. me <laughs> of all time. Like, how can I beat my own thing of all time? It's like let's demystify the creator here and go, like, hey, may, sometimes you just get it right, and sometimes you can't recreate it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's that. Crazy. You and there can. should be no expectation. Right. What I love about her, I don't know if you knew about this. So in April of 2013, there was a book that came out called The Cuckoo's Calling. It was the debut novel of Robert Galbraith, who on the back of the book is a former plainclothes police investigator who left work in 2003 to be in the private security industry. Mm-hmm. There's no such person. It's her. <laughs> she wrote a crime detective novel under a man's name oh my and a fake biography sold 500 copies in hardback just like the original Harry Potter yeah. was reasonably acclaimed didn't win any major awards or anything but a journalist who caught wise that this was the same agent and the same publishing company and all of this stuff did a language analysis and then the publisher had to come clean and oh, be like man. oh yeah it was JK within days of her being revealed as the author 
the they had to print another 140,000 copies. Oh my yeah. For the oh. demand. Of course it's not I mean it's sexual and body like there's nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. related to her but it was I just love the fact that she did that again because she didn't want experiment. to rest on the laurels also of like oh I know it's going to have my name on it and people are just going to buy it because it's got my name on it and not tell me whether it's good or not. Right. right. Let me publish something under a pseudonym and then she published in the past that's an awesome experiment. In the past years, she's published four more books in that series. But it's like nobody cares about that. I mean, who each is one talking? Of the, have, uh, is she f- creating a fake personas for each of them? No, no, no. It's okay. the same. It's the okay. same okay. fake. Oh, I author. see. I see. I see. I sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, got you. Okay. I was uh, for a second. I thought she was just like, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna see do what this, this one. Does. You know, <laughs> no. like put out a fake name on this one. See if that one catches a fire. <laughs> No, she just did that it, and she's like, Robert Galbraith has written four books, and it's under the same thing, and it's about the same character gotcha. and whatnot. But it's cool. it's just great that she was like, yeah, that's the only way I can do it without having <laughs> the judgment or keep the humility of myself to be yeah. like, maybe it isn't good again, or it doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what she's been just working giving on. Giving herself the own freedom, and, and, and honestly, I feel like that would give you a ton of clarity. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm seeing the practical use and the function and what she did there. It's like, okay, put out the side that she wrote a whole other story. <laughs> but, <right. laughs> um, but to, to think about, okay, to, it would offer so much clarity of just thinking, okay, well, how much of this is me? And then how much is just the momentum of the craziness after the first thing? Is yeah. it, it would be wild. And I, 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 that, that's, that's, I've never heard of something quite like that. Yeah. Um, it's a, a beautiful end to be like, oh, well, she hasn't gone to drugs or, or or gotten obsessed with the fame or been you oh, know drowned by the wealth or whatever yeah. she's just back to doing what she did before yeah all right well this has been crazy <laughs> uh so this is our, the the first episode on on harry potter and uh the woman behind it all yes the woman behind it all jk rowling We'll be doing another episode on Harry Potter, not next week, but the week after. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing a couple of these to span out into going into the summer here. So uh, get on the Instagram with us and, and get in the conversation. We can start talking about uh, the Harry Potter lore. Let's open up the stuff and, and, and we can figure out where exactly we're going to put this looking glass next. One thing I just wanted to mention in recent news uh, is mm. that... The Watchmen HBO series has forced the Oklahoma curriculum to change because apparently, if you haven't seen there, uh, much of the the new Watchmen series is a sequel to the original Watchmen comic, centers around this 1921 race riot in Oklahoma. Apparently, a lot of the people in Oklahoma didn't know about this. So the school board has actually reinstituted this into the curriculum, is forcing the curriculum wow. to change. I thought that was insane that a, a series sequel... Adapted based, from a graphic novel from yeah. the 80s changed a school's curriculum. Changed a school's curriculum and that the people in that town were unfamiliar with their own history. I just thought that was beautiful wow. and just about... You know, I just wanted to bring that up for viewers since yeah, we've done yeah. a Watchmen episode and, we, and we, we do touch on Watchmen time and time ago. And then things like this actually do push and shove <laughs> in the real world here. Now students are going to be learning about the Oklahoma 1921 race riots. thought right. that was pretty wild. Yeah, that um, is wild. But yeah, uh, that's it for us. Get in touch with us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Let us know what you thought about this episode and where we're going with Harry Potter. And we will catch you next week. Next week, I think we're doing Bad Education on HBO. So keep your eyes out for that one. Ooh. All right. Catch you all later. Later.